You're listening to WJMSRadio.com, where radio is reimagined. The Fired Up Show starts right now. And welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to Fired Up Radio, right here on WJMSRadio.com. This is Steve. I host the show each week, and we're going to get into the political world here in the States. As always, we're going to start off with our uh, recap of the COVID-19 coronavirus numbers uh, as we need to keep track of these and uh, keep an eye on on where this pandemic is going in our country. So as of the recording of this show, we have more than 4.65 million cases of coronavirus COVID-19 reported and 154,700 people have lost their lives to this disease. And it continues to be both a problem uh, from a health standpoint and a political standpoint. And we'll talk a little bit about that in the course of the show. Wanted to start off this week uh, and just recognize that uh, on Thursday of last week, uh, Congressman John Lewis of Georgia was laid to rest and had his funeral service in Atlanta. And uh, I watched the service. Uh, It was very, very, very moving. Uh, A lot of really powerful uh, comments and really great oratory. And it should be noted that uh, three of the four living presidents, uh, former presidents rather, of the United States were in attendance at the funeral. Uh, We had uh, George W. Bush, we had Bill Clinton, and we had Barack Obama and each gave uh, very moving uh, tributes to Congressman Lewis with uh, former President Obama giving the eulogy and really bringing to light uh, the life of this this icon, this legend, uh, not only of the civil rights movement, but of the Congress of the United States over the last 30 plus years uh, as he served uh, the 5th District in Georgia. And, of course, it wouldn't be, you know, today and and this time frame if we didn't have some people from some corners of the political perspective, uh, of course, criticizing that the funeral service and, you know, the the eulogy and and the content were more political than spiritual. But, you know, I, I rebut that by saying you know, John Lewis was someone who spent the better part of uh, 50 plus years in the civil rights struggle and the rights, uh, the struggle for the rights of people of color and poor and disenfranchised in this country. You can't talk about John Lewis without talking about, you know, political, uh, political needs and requirements that still are not fully met here in this country. So, you know, if, if you're, you're welcome to your criticism, but just understand that, you know, this man, this great man, uh, literally shed blood in the struggle for people, uh, all people, to, to gain the full benefits of citizenship in this country. So you can, you can bash what people said about him at his, his funeral, but, you know, it, it doesn't diminish the legacy of this man. Uh, in, in addition, you know, it, it needs to be noted that another icon of the civil rights movement was also laid to rest last week, and that was the Reverend C.T. Vivian. Reverend C.T. Vivian was uh, the, one of the founders of the Nashville Christian Leadership 
uh, coalition, which became part of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference uh, in the in the early '60s, and was was also in in a quiet way, not necessarily as as well known a figure as John Lewis and others, but nonetheless a towering figure in the civil rights struggle. Uh, through the 60s, uh, well up, you know, into the new millennium. So we, we, we praise him and, and, you know, wish our, our best wishes and condolences to his family and, and those that loved and followed him. And then we also uh, got news of the passing of Herman Cain. Uh, Herman Cain, if you don't know, uh, was the founder of Godfather Pizza, and a, a successful businessman and also uh, ran for the Republican nomination for president. And uh, most notably, one of the key uh, planks in his platform was something called the 999 program, which was a, a level tax or flat tax proposal for the tax system in this country uh, that would have set a 9% limit for personal tax and corporate tax, you know, in, in this country. And although, you know, I, I don't necessarily agree with his politics, I applaud the fact that he had a plan and described in detail as part of his campaign as to how it would work and how it would benefit people in this country. So, you know, we, we recognize his contributions to, to the progress uh, that we, we work to make and we appreciate his efforts and we we wish him you know godspeed and our condolences go out to his family as well so you know just just a, an interesting you know few days last week and reflecting on the the leaders that have left us uh, just in the most recent past so something to consider uh, going to change gears a little bit here with some uh, fired up radio show news and some WJMS news. And for that, I'm going to bring in the, the founder, the CEO, the driving force behind WJMS, none other than Miss Jamie Bowles. And uh, she's got an announcement about an exciting new thing that, that WJMS is embarking on. And, you know, all of us, all the show hosts, we're all very excited about it. So here's Jamie to tell you about it in her own words. What's up, guys? It's your girl Jams, of course, from uh, WJMS Radio. I am joining you today to give you some updates on Double Mint Radio as it stands. It is July 31st, and we are set to go live tomorrow, August 1st. So make sure you check out DoubleMintRadio.com to listen to the station. We are still in the process of getting all of the content that you guys have submitted to us, from artists to podcast hosts to live radio shows. We're working on getting our schedule and everything situated and we're going to be bringing that to you guys and debuting everything on August 15th. Uh, But please make sure you're still getting your applications in. Make sure you're still getting your inquiries in. We are still accepting um, advertisers, sponsors, hosts, artists, you name it. Um, So please, if you're ready to partner with Double Mint Radio, hop on board now. Again, the information is www.doublemintradio.com. We are working on the mobile site. We are still, you know, finalizing all of the little teeny logistics that go into it. But as of August 15th, 
15th. Everything should be up and running and you'll be able to hear all of the new shows that we're promising you guys are going to be really great. Uh, so please make sure you check out DoublementRadio.com. In the meantime, we have some amazing artist music on rotation that you guys can check out and take a listen to. So check it out. Any questions, make sure you DM me, my partner Frazier, or my other partner Shannon. We'll be glad to answer any questions. We appreciate your support. Don't forget to like WJMS Radio while you're in the process of all this. And we'll see you guys tomorrow for the live date of Double Mint Radio. Thanks, Jamie. And um, I just have to say that I am so excited about the opportunities uh, that uh, WJMS teaming up and partnering with Double Mint Radio, uh, which is based in Scotland. Uh, it, it, it just presents a whole new world for us to talk about. And also, you know, it allows us the opportunity to present the, the mechanics and the behind the scenes of the American political system to a broader audience uh, coming out of the United Kingdom and the European Union and, and so forth. So we're excited about the future and we're looking forward to you know, having discussions and, and bringing information about American politics to them and bringing information about you know, politics in the UK and the European Union to our listeners here. So WJMS and Double Mint Radio you know, are, are becoming a global partnership, and that is just exciting news. I couldn't be happier. All right, moving right along from that, um, want to give you kind of the, the, the word and the, the, the background for what we're going to talk about this week. And uh, the word is brinksmanship. And in, in definition, brinksmanship is the practice of trying to achieve an advantageous outcome by pushing dangerous events to the brink of active conflict. It occurs in international politics, foreign policy, labor relations, and in contemporary settings, military strategy involving the threat of nuclear weapons and high-stakes litigation. Uh, the maneuver of pushing a situation with the opponent to a brink succeeds by forcing the opponent to back down and make concessions. Uh, from its origins, brinksmanship is the ostensible escalation of threats to achieve one's aim. In an article written in Life magazine uh, in the 1960s, John Forster Dulles then defended his policy of brinkmanship as the ability to get to the verge without getting into the war is the necessary art. And, you know, for brinksmanship to be effective, the sides continuously escalate their threats and actions. However, a threat is ineffective unless credible. At some point, an aggressive party may have to prove its commitment to action. Now, I bring up this word because it seems to be totally appropriate to what we're witnessing going on in Congress uh, and, you know, in, in the government, uh, particularly when it comes to the response to the coronavirus and the, the current unemployment crisis and the economic woes that our country is facing. Uh, you know, by the numbers right now, there are some 19 plus million people who are unemployed. The economy has been uh, suppressed uh, by a as much as 25 to 30 percent. Uh, you know, GDP is down. You know, just all the indicators are that the economy is suffering a huge hit as a result of the you know coronavirus COVID-19. 
there are a lot of economists who are expressing grave concerns that the U.S. economy is actually going to sink into a full-blown recession as a result of the COVID virus and the fact that you know states uh, are not able to open up, businesses are still shuttered, people are still out of work, and we're now coming into more than six months uh, into this into this pandemic. And if you add to that the overall confusion that is coming out of the response from our government to the, the COVID pandemic, and, you know, in particular, you know, we, we passed the deadline at the start of the month of August in that the $600 per week additional stimulus payment that the federal government uh, was providing to people who are unemployed uh, has expired and there's no new plan yet in place in order to you know continue to to help support and and help you know the the working people in this country uh, survive you know many people uh, have have faced this issue and I can speak to it from personal experience um, you know it is a scary proposition when you're looking at, you know, your rent or your mortgage, you know, maybe a car payment and, and even the basic necessities, food, you know, utilities and, and so forth. And, you know, there's there's no money. You're not getting unemployment or it hasn't arrived yet. Um, you've got, you know, the issue of, you know, spending down, you know, your savings and trying to gather money from wherever you can just to make the ends meet. And this has been a very devastating uh, process for the American people and for people around the world, you know, as we, we speak on being a global platform. Um, but the response here in this country has been one of, from, from the start, of denial, you know, disbelief, minimizing, and really just not showing the kind of care we expect from our leadership in the face of a pandemic or a crisis that affects the entire country. You know, it, and it, it has, has fallen into both a partisan political argument, it has fallen into an ideological argument, an economic argument, the key word there being argument. Rather than there being a coming together of the people and the leadership in this country around a common problem that must have a common solution, we have been relegated to a game of brinksmanship. One side, you know, upping the ante and, and upping the threats and the rhetoric, and the other side responding and going back and forth. Meanwhile, at the end of the day, nothing gets done. You know, and you know, this is a problem that you know, we have seen occur over and over again over the past six months and even over the past couple of years with other issues and crises that have, have confronted us. But the COVID virus crisis is of such a magnitude that it is actually you know, affecting everyone in this country, whether they admit it or not. Um, and you know, we, the citizens, we, the voters, we need to make sure that we are, are communicating and, and just letting our elected officials all up and down the line from local to national know just, you know, how we feel about this. You know, everyone, you know, knows someone who has been impacted by COVID-19. It could be, you know, a loss of a job, a uh, job being eliminated or furloughed or being laid off. 
uh, due to the downturn in the economy. It could be the loss of a loved one among the 150, you know, four plus thousand people who have died uh, from this disease. That's 154,000 families that have suffered a loss that they cannot properly grieve, properly have closure because they can't be present uh, in, in the last days and in the last hours of their loved one's life. And in many cases, they can't even uh, have a funeral to, to, to achieve that closure. And that's unconscionable, and it's unacceptable. And we need to be, you know, blowing up the phone lines of our senators, our congresspeople, our state reps, our state senators, our governors, everybody. We need to be communicating that this is unacceptable to the people of the United States, regardless of party affiliation, regardless of whether you're a conservative, liberal, liberal, or progressive. You know, everyone is affected by this. COVID-19, it isn't a Republican illness. It isn't a, you know, an independent illness. It isn't a Democratic illness. It is a people illness. You know, there are, you know, people of all political, ethnic, uh, racial, social, stat, you know, status in this country who have been impacted by it. We've seen the news articles where, you know, there are people, you know, who are both famous and people who are, you know, unknown that have succumbed to this. And, you know, the, the arguments that come back um, are just... You know, in my opinion, the arguments that I hear for, you know, one, that, you know, the coronavirus is a hoax, uh, that it, you know, doesn't impact children. There have been hundreds and hundreds of children that have died from this disease. So, you know, if, if you are one of those out there listening and you believe that the, you know, coronavirus and the COVID virus is a, a hoax, or a made-up construct for whatever reason, whether you think it's a political hoax or it's a, an economic hoax or it's, you know, whatever, um, I really, really would love to hear from you. Send an email to the, the show's email address, which is fireduprradio at yahoo.com. I really want to hear why you believe that the COVID-19 pandemic is a lie. And please... Don't just give me, you know, the the party line. I want to know what your where are you getting your source? What's your information source? You know, how how are you finding out that the the COVID-19 pandemic is in fact a lie for whatever reasons you believe that it is? You know, give me your sources. And again, send it to firedupradio at yahoo.com. I really am curious as to how you can stare in the face of four and a half million people infected and 154, almost 155,000 people dead and, and, you know, disagree with the fact of that situation. So, you know, bring it to me. I want to hear it. You know, fired up radio at yahoo.com. Let, let's have a discussion about it. Let's, let's, get some, let's get some comments. I'll talk about them on the air. Uh, you know, we can reach out and communicate and chat or whatever, and and let's have a discussion. I want to hear your thoughts on this um, because you know I'm I'm a fact-based person. I'm I'm a, a, a science-based person, and you know I just need to have a better understanding of the other side. 
So, you know, let me know what you think. And, you know, and, and along those lines, you know, there are people, you know, out there in, in the same vein who, you know, just just seem to be in some level of denial about what's going on in this world. You know, whether it is, you know, uh, uh, a, a political pushback on the Black Lives Matter movement or, you know, I, I saw an interview with uh, Chris Cuomo from CNN where he was interviewing um, the, the uh, press secretary for the president, Ms. McEnany. And he asked her point blank, you know, you know, whether or not the, the president has lied. And she said just as point blank back to him that no, he has never told a lie. And, you know, that again, it just makes me wonder, uh, how do you process your facts when, you know, media sources on both sides of the political spectrum have acknowledged that, you know, this president has lied, you know, tens of thousands of times while he's been in office, and yet you're saying that he has not lied. So, you know, it, it, this, this, this denial culture that we're in, this, you know, uh, supporting someone no matter what uh, the facts may tell you, even if they tell you something that is 180 degrees opposed to what you believe, uh, I I need and, and want to understand that better. So, uh, again, if you have thoughts on that, sh- uh, send an email, firedupradio at yahoo.com. I'd love to find out and, and gain the understanding of, of why people can, can believe that in the face of what appears to be irrefutable evidence. So, you know, it just goes in line with what, you know, we always say here on this show is... You've got to dig through a wide range of sources. You've got to, you know, get out of your your comfort zone, your liberal comfort zone or your conservative comfort zone and explore the other side. Hear what they have to say. Look for, you know, the 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 truth in in what they say and have an open mind. And that just helps you to be informed and educated and make, you know, your decisions based on real facts and real information uh, as, as you process. So, you know, that, that's, that's kind of where we are, you know, and you know, when we, we come back on the other side uh, of the break shortly, you know, we're, we're going to look at this from a broader perspective. But I, I just want to add one more um, thing before we take a break here and, and transition to our segment two. And, you know, it, it's you know, talking about the election coming up and the fact that there are, you know, a lot of the administration officials, particularly the White House, who are preaching a message of widespread, you know, voter fraud because of mail-in ballots and using this as a, a, a weapon. You know, they're weaponizing the mail-in ballots uh, to be another tool, in my opinion, in their, their bag of tricks in, in voter suppression. And, um, you know, the, the president has been out front on this, talking about, you know, the, the overwhelming amount of voter fraud that mail-in ballots are going to cause and, and all of these elements. And, again, the facts that have been gathered just do not substantiate that. Um, many of the states 
have filed lawsuits against the federal government uh, with regard to restrictions that have been issued uh, by executive order, and, you know, restricting ballots and, and all of these things. So those are ongoing. There have been calls uh, by the Republican administration to, in, in some form or fashion, defund the post office, to take money away from the post office. And you know, that just leads to creating another hurdle for ballots to get in and to be properly uh, recorded and counted. So you know, we'll, we'll, we'll touch on this in the call to action toward the end of the show. But it is something that we need to be concerned about and that we need to be educated about. So we'll, we'll take our break here. When we come back on the other side of the messages, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about uh, what the summer of 2020 is shaping up to be. Uh, you're listening to Fired Up Radio. My name is Steve. I'm your host. We're right here on WJMSRadio.com and soon to be on DoubleMintRadio.com as well as you heard in the announcement from uh, our CEO, Ms. Jams. And uh, we'll talk to you in a minute right after the break. Wake up, wake up. You've got the power. You've got the My people in the east, yo, you gotta wake up. Midwest, dirty south, yo, you gotta stand up. All my homies in the west, yo, you gotta wake up. Wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up.
here and give thanks to the man upstairs. Put the egos and the pride to the side regardless and just be role models, parents, artists. We can make a change or we can make it the hardest. If you gonna make a baby, you should make them the smartest. Let them know good and bad, right from wrong. How to roll with the punches when life moves on. And the stress won't take toll if you don't sweat it. Or it won't get no better if we don't let it. Let the negative energy ride. Keep hope alive. It's about time that we open our eyes. Wake up, girl. For the second guessing, the words I speak. The ones who sleep in the leadership's fix your mouth to teach. Gym sees, teach the kids what's peace. They don't have to worry about the police. We make them risk so they don't have to see. Every artist here on this track. We'll make a change here for young cats. This is for everybody, white or black. You better go and vote and get up off your back. Welcome back. Welcome back to Fired Up. This is Steve. I'm your host here on WJMS Radio as we kick off with the second part of our show here for this Monday. And I want to pick up right where we left off. Uh, Remember at the top of the show we talked about the uh, subject of brinksmanship where you you have two sides of an argument, each pushing a radical approach, uh, trying to get the other side to blink. Well, as we look at the current year 2020 that we're in, what we're actually seeing is not just two sides, uh, call them uh, a liberal side and a conservative side, but we actually have a third party that's involved in the mix. And this would be, you know, the, the citizens who have been uh, exercising their right to protest and their free speech uh, all through the course of this year. Uh, in fact, back into last year and beyond, uh, as a result of many of the the elements that have uh, served as trigger for a lot of the unrest that's going on in the country today. So as we're seeing, uh, what appears to be this uh, three-party brinksmanship game that's going on, and uh, you know, it is clear that uh, each side uh, in this triangle are pushing for all their worth against the other two to try and move them to uh, a, a consensus of change that will benefit you know, us, the people of America. 
one of the things that is kind of the hallmark of this uh, has been the amount of protests that have gone on in the last uh, three years, actually, since the current administration took office. And what we've seen is a, a uh, willingness to move large numbers of people out into the streets to protest, uh, whether it was uh, the women's movement uh, just after the inauguration that led to the Me Too movement uh, that followed the following year, the student-led protest against gun violence that has happened uh, over the, the last year, and most recently, of course, with the Black Lives Matter movement and the uh, protest for social justice and an end to police violence uh, in this country. Uh, there have been, as a result of this, this tumultuous year uh, or 18 months or so, a lot of comparisons between you know, uh, 2020 you know, or 2019, 2020, to the era of the 1960s and more particularly to the uh, years 1967 and 68, which were uh, or and remain uh, the most tumultuous years in uh, recent American history. And you, you see a lot um, in doing the research. Uh, there was at least 15 or 20 different uh, articles and, and topics describing a comparison between uh, the summer of 2020, which we're in the middle of, and the summer of 1968, which many see as the last time of major uh, social and political upheaval in this country. And while there are some comparisons, uh, I think, you know, as you, you look at history and if you review the history of, you know, the 1960s versus the history of the, you know, 2010, 2020 decade, uh, there are distinct differences that they're uh, pointing out. So let, let's take a quick look, and, and for you, you young folks out there, for you millennials and gen alphabet people out there, uh, let me give you a brief uh, overview of what was going on in the 1960s, uh, both from a written standpoint and also from the standpoint of uh, my being one of those people who actually lived through that era and got to see it all firsthand, even though I was in my uh, early teens at the time. But I you know, was aware of what was going on and particularly the, the magnitude of things that happened in that decade. Um, you know, it was clear that the 1960s uh, was a decade that began with a lot of hope and a lot of optimism. You know, we were coming out of a very uh, prosperous decade in the 1950s and everything was pointing to a continuation of that trend. Uh, incomes were going up. Uh, there was a huge amount of urban sprawl happening out into the suburbs, a lot of new home ownership going on. Uh, but there was still an undercurrent that uh, decried the successes that we were seeing in America, particularly in the area of you know, racial equality, uh, gender equality at the time, and, and so forth that uh, created an undercurrent of unrest uh, that was going on. Add to that the fact you had a very unpopular war in Vietnam happening, and you know, as, as many as you know, 50 to 100 U.S. Service, servicemen were dying in Vietnam in the war every day. Uh, and this was actually being brought to us you know, in, in the nightly news 
I mean, I can remember as a kid sitting in, in, the, in front of the television with my parents, uh, eating dinner and watching the news each night on the war in Vietnam. And it was the first time that, you know, a war, any war, uh, was being broadcast to the American people in anywhere near real time, in that we were seeing, you know, nightly reports from the field uh, showing the, the brutality of what was going on in Vietnam. Uh, and there was a lot of protest going on against the draft. And, you know, in those days at that time, uh, service in the military was not voluntary. Uh, everyone over the age of 18, and, and I counted myself in that group. When you turned 18, you were required by law to register, and what happened was they uh, put your birth date into uh, a lottery draft, and they drew out numbers. Uh, and depending on where your number fell, that was the likelihood that you would be required to report to uh, the Army for conscription into service. Uh, unlike today where, you know, the, the military is, lar is a volunteer organization, that is, you choose to go into service, then it was required. Uh, and that was a very frightening thing for a lot of people. There were a lot of people who, you know, protested the war, who didn't believe in the war, and, you know, they fled the country. They moved to Canada or moved to other countries to avoid the draft. So there was a lot of tension around the Vietnam War. There was also a growing tension in the minority communities, particularly, you know, the African-American community uh, was, was tired of suffering under, you know, Jim Crow and segregation rules that were unfair um, and, and a lack of equal employment opportunities. Uh, women were, were uh, protesting against the way that their role in society, both in terms of voting as well as in terms of their lives in general uh, were chosen for them or, or described for them or outlined for them uh, primarily by men and they were, there was a lot of protests behind that. Uh, you had protests in the um, Mexican-American community, what we now call the Latinx community, uh, against you know, unfair labor practices and you know, cruel working conditions and a lot of the things that still exist today. And, you know, into all of this mix, there was a, a just a huge unrest and a political upheaval in place. Uh, there was uh, election battles going on. Uh, John Kennedy was elected president in 1960 and was widely believed that, you know, he was going to uh, precipitate an early end to the Vietnam War. Uh, there was also, in 1962, we had what was called the Cuban Missile Crisis, and that was kind of the, the ultimate brinksmanship game between the U.S. and the then uh, Soviet Union. Uh, now what uh, we, con we consider Russia was a part of that, was one of the nations in that block. And, you know, that led to us coming as close as we, ha we have ever come to an actual nuclear war. Uh, where you know, there were missiles, nuclear missiles, that were installed in Cuba, which is 90 miles away from the, the southern tip of the country. And that was, that was just too much for the United States administration. And actually, forces on both sides were literally raised to the highest alert settings. And we were, what, what some uh, experts and historians have reported, that we were 
you know, hours away from actually uh, going to war, potentially a nuclear war with the Soviet Union. Um, and, you know, then, you know, as we came into, you know, the middle of the, the, the decade in the 60s, then we had the, the issues again with, with civil rights and, and unrest happening. And uh, it, it was just a, a very tense and emotional time, uh, all of which uh, seemed to culminate, you know, in, in the, the middle 60s. You know, in 1965, Malcolm X was shot. Uh, in uh, 1967, the leader of the American Nazi movement was assassinated. And then, of course, in 1968, we had the double assassinations of Martin Luther King at the, the spring of the year and Bobby Kennedy, Robert F. Kennedy, uh, later in the year that seemed to be the spark that set the whole tinderbox off. So through the summer of 1968, uh, we saw you know, massive and violent protests in the largest cities in the country almost every night and every week. Uh, more than 100 cities uh, had fires, had rioting going on. Uh, the National Guard was called into many major cities, including the nation's capital, to try and suppress the violence. And it, it just looked like everything in, in America was just coming apart at the seams. And if we look and, and contrast that and compare that with what we've seen in this, com this country over the last, you know, uh, three years uh, or five years or so, uh, we see a lot of similarities, a lot of the same uh, angst and, and unrest that has occurred. Uh, it's kind of like a storm, you know, the, the energy builds up and builds up until the lightning strikes. And it looks like we are in that build-up phase where uh, there is a substantial amount of social and political unrest and, you know, it, it is something that, you know, needs to be addressed, yet we seem to have a, a government relinquishing uh, its ability to address it from a social and political standpoint, uh, and in some cases resorting to a military and violent standpoint in order to try and end the, the protests or, or curtail them. Uh, so... You know, while th there are a lot of similarities between, you know, the current uh, year that we're in, uh, there obviously is an overarching event that is, is uh, driving the, the energy uh, of the protests. In the 60s, it was the Vietnam War. Uh, today, it could ar be argued that it is the coronavirus, COVID-19 that has seen, you know, four and a half million people afflicted and 154,000 and change uh, number of people who have died. These events seem to be the field uh, upon which uh, the social and political events are being played out. So you have this, this three-sided game going on where you've got uh, you know, conservative political uh, establishment and, and liberal progressive political establishment battling each other to try and, and deal with the issues going on, particularly COVID. And then you've got the citizen element, which is protesting against both of the other two for you know, what could be considered their inaction or their lack of definitive action uh, to resolve the major issues of the day. So 
you know, while there is a, a lot of comparison between the two, uh, and there are, in fact, some parallels that run between, you know, the, the decade of the 1960s and the uh, 2010-2020 decade that we're, we're ending, you know, this year, uh, there are still enough differences to allow us to make distinctions between the two. Uh, overall, you know, what the problems and issues that we face now are daunting, but uh, it, there still is an underlying hope and optimism that, you know, a change can be made to back us away from the brink uh, and, and hopefully, you know, restore a more balanced order to our country. Um, you know, whether that's a, an order balanced on a more liberal perspective or a conservative perspective, in my opinion really doesn't matter. What we need is we need that balance, that coexistence, that solid dialogue that occurs between the two groups in order to accomplish what uh, the people of this country want. And I think at the end of the day, that is what, you know, our call to action needs to be, is we need to be pushing our leaders on both sides of the aisle uh, to, to move on the issues that we want them to move on, uh, to take brinksmanship and partisan politics and one-upmanship and all of the, the negative things that we see coming out of Washington, D.C., to take that away and replace it with a positive, constructive action on getting accomplished what this country so desperately needs, you know, a more equal uh, economic playing field, a more equal and fair social playing field, a more equal and fair political playing field, you know, better representation, more representation. People are elected officials listening to the wishes of the people as a matter of course and not just because they're being forced into it. Uh, this is something that uh, seems to have been uh, maybe not lost but perhaps forgotten. One of the things that came out of the decade of the 60s was, you know, several decades into the 70s and 80s of really a much more caring society. And, you know, it should be noted that, you know, as, as people would, would like to believe that, you know, the, the notion of caring and social justice and all of that was purely a, a, a liberal side or a democratic side. It actually was a, a unified side and it was led in most part by Republican administrations as they have held uh, the presidency pretty consistently uh, with a couple of, of exceptions in the, in the uh, uh, years uh, with Bill Clinton and then with, you know, Barack Obama, uh, the Republicans have held, you know, the leadership roles in this country for the better part of about 40 years. And in, even during that time, there was a lot of social justice, good social justice work that was done. Uh, don't forget, it was Richard Nixon that signed the Voting Rights Act, uh, you know, and, you know, all of these things. And it, and it was uh, the, the Republican presidents afterwards that reauthorized that act multiple times. So, I mean, it can be done. It, you know, it isn't a Democrat thing. It isn't a Republican thing. It is a people thing. And I think our role as the third player in this brinksmanship game that we've been talking about, our role is to see that, you know, that balance is reestablished, 
that our political leaders are in fact listening to us and in fact doing what we ask of them to do and to make these things happen. You know, as I said earlier in the show, one of the things that, that irritates me to no end is the fact that the deadline for you know, the extended support uh, for unemployment was allowed to elapse without a replacement being put in place, primarily because of you know, political games and one-upmanship that was being played where one side wanted to address just one piece of the issue and another side is saying, no, we're not going to go with that unless it's a whole package, rather than coming together, going into a room, sitting down and ironing out a complete package that addresses the needs relative to unemployment. You know, the, the process of attaching these other items to bills, um, you know, do we really need to have a, a discussion right this second over whether or not we're going to rename some military bases because they are named after Confederate generals when, you know, a thousand people a day or, or 10,000 people a month or, you know, we are approaching 200,000 people who will have died from this disease. What's more important? And I think we need to let our political leaders know exactly what we think about that. That, you know, yes, it's, it's important. You know, it's, it's a good thing. It's something we need to do, you know, in terms of renaming bases and in, in terms of some of the other things that they are trying to attach into these bills. But, but at the end of the day, our people are dying. Our people are not getting the care they need to help, you know, uh, protect themselves against this pandemic. Uh, we are seeing a, a lack of leadership in terms of what is a best practice for our society in the face of this pandemic. You know, we're not seeing a consistent message uh, on the need for social distancing, on the need for wearing masks, on the need for, you know, uh, uh, daily hygiene and all of this. These are the things that other countries in the world have taken to heart and have made much more woven into their fabric. And that's why they have, you know, uh, case numbers in the hundreds where we have case numbers in the thousands. That's why they have, you know, a death rate measured in, in, in single digits and tens and teens where we have death rates measured in, in the hundreds and thousands a day. So, you know, it, it, it is up to us. At the end of the day, you know, I, I think it is clear that the American people uh, on both sides, on all, you know, all political parties, that we need to step up and, and do our role as being the adults in the room and let our elected officials know all the way up and down the line from local to, to federal that, you know, enough is enough. Stop with the foolishness. This is what needs to happen and this is when this needs to happen. We have people that are suffering. We have people that cannot feed their families. We have people that are facing eviction from their homes with no recourse. We have you know, people and, and children who are looking ahead to going back to school. And you know, of the schools that have opened early, we're already seeing you know, cases come back with students. We're already seeing you know, uh, 81 students at a summer camp that became infected. We're already seeing dozens of students in early uh, school openings that have been infected. You know, clearly we do not have all of the tools in place that we need to effectively combat this disease. And, you know, we the people need to 
get on the phone, get on the email, get on the fax, get on the, the internet, and let our elected officials know that that's unacceptable and that we need to make sure that they do what we are telling them to do. All right, we are now some probably, I don't know, 93 days, 92 days away from the November election. So if you're in a state where your senator, uh, your congresspeople are up for re-election, they are never going to be more attentive to your voice than right now because election time is coming. So we need to let them know that, you know, you know we've been watching. You have not performed as we have expected. And, you know, unless things change radically, drastically and quickly, then we're going to change things radically, drastically and quickly in November. So, you know, that's our call to action. That's what we need to do. That's what this show is about. You know, finding those things that we need to do. And it doesn't matter what your political beliefs are. This is about right and wrong. This is about life and death. This is about our children and our families and our elders uh, suffering and dying from this disease when, you know, we need to be doing everything we can to protect ourselves and them from acquiring it in the first place until we have a, a cure or a vaccine or something that will, will eradicate this disease. So, you know, that, that's the deal. That's what we need to do. So let's take that to heart. Let's make that our call to action. Let's find out who our representatives are. You can go to uh, ballotpedia.org or vote.com and find out who your, your federal, your state, and your local representatives are right from those websites. You know, and that's the call to action for this week. So as always, thank you for listening, and I appreciate it. You've been listening to Fired Up. This is Steve. I'm the host. Each week we uncover the mechanics and the things that are going on in our political system. And again, just a shout out that, you know, WJMS and this show will be going international as we start our partnership uh, with Double Mint Radio. Uh, so on August 15th, we will also be broadcasting and sharing uh, the, the Internet radio waves uh, out of Edinburgh, Scotland, which is really exciting and I'm happy for. So everybody out there, please, please, please stay safe. Do what you need to do to protect yourself and your loved ones. I will see you in our next show, and I look forward to talking to you again in seven days. Take care, everybody. message wherever you stand I'm calling every woman calling every man we're the generation we can't afford to wait the future started yesterday and we're already late